Good morning. Let's, uh, let's open with prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we can be here today to study your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would pour your spirit out upon us so that we might hear your word, understand it, and believe it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so we are in Romans chapter 12. Uh, I've, I've actually talked through verses 1 and 2, but I want to touch back on that for just a second uh, before we get into uh, the, uh, the rest of where we haven't gone yet. Um, so in verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age. Um, I like the translation that sometimes says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Um, but this is a good translation too. Um, but be transformed. Um, that, that word transformed is like metamorphosis. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a complete change. Um, by the renewing of your mind, uh, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. So, three thoughts that, that come from that. One is that this transformation, this renewing of the mind, um, this, this conforming, these are things that cannot be achieved purely out of human will. It's not like we're going to wake up one morning and say, I am going to conform, I am going to be transformed, and I am going to be renewed, all because that's what I want. Um, these are things that happen in view of the mercies of God right back at the beginning of, of those verses. This all ties into all of the things that we have talked about through the whole book about God's mercy, God's justification, his righteousness, all of that being given to us freely as, as a gift. And then that then has an impact on our lives. And these are the impacts that it has. And as we talk about that, it's, it's important to note the second point there. The Spirit guides but does not force Christians to do good works. Neither do they happen automatically from the believer's will. So sometimes people think that, you know, you become a Christian, and, and I might be guilty of talking in this kind of a way because I, I, I really want to emphasize, you know, God's work above the person's work. Um, sometimes people, they come to think that if you come to believe in Jesus, then all of a sudden you're going to do everything right. You're, you're going to want to do the things that God wants you to do and all of those things. Like flipping a light switch. But it, it doesn't work that way. You know, it, there's a, um, God works in us. The Spirit transforms us and shapes us. And, and we do have a part to play in this as people who are now alive in Christ. You know, our hope is that our hearts are then aligned with God's will for us and that we actually do start to de desire the things of God. Um, just was, I think it might have been two weeks ago uh, in the Bible reading, we did Psalm 119. Does that sound right, two weeks ago or so? Longest chapter in the Bible. And it's really about this, this whole change that takes place that I live in a right relationship with God and so teach me your ways. You, you don't just you know, all of a sudden know them. You know, we need God's word 
and the Spirit to be at work in us to, to make us aware and to reveal those things to us. So the Spirit's at work in us to guide us, and yet, you know, as an, someone who's alive in Christ, our hearts and minds start to desire for the things of God, and we need to continue to learn and to grow and to be connected to God and His Word. And then lastly there, it would be misleading to say that Christians intuitively know how to please God and love their neighbor. That is uh, maybe a controversial statement. You know, we have to have that revealed to us. What does it look like to love God and love our neighbor? You know, and that's one another reason that it's really important to, uh, to be taught by God's word to live in a right relationship with him and a right relationship with our neighbor. And this is what is classically referred to as the third use of the law. Uh, for those of you who were in confirmation class, I prefer to call it the third function of the law because when I say third use of the law, it sounds like we're the ones using it. Um, no, the law just does these things. We could say that God uses the law in this way. And uh, maybe you remember from confirmation class uh, however many years ago that was, there were three uses of the law. It acts as a curb that says this is right, this is wrong, go no farther than this. It acts as a mirror in the sense that it shows us our sin. And it does that for all people. Anybody and everybody who approaches God's law, it says to them, stop, and it says you are a sinner. But for the believer, it goes this extra step in that it does this work of saying, now this is how you live. That, that's the whole Psalm 119 thing. I love your law, O Lord. I'm walking in your ways. I want to walk in your paths. That's that third use. Because then it's, it's shaping and forming the way that we look at our lives. And that's what this is talking about here. And it's talking about this whole transformation process that God is working in us um, as he brings us to life through this righteousness and salvation that Jesus has won. So, is that a halfway decent summary of what we've done like two, three weeks ago now. Three weeks ago, yeah. Okay, then let's get into what I was hoping to get into today. <clears throat> For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than you should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it, in accord, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching in teaching, if exhorting in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So he starts out and he says, by the grace given to me. So let me throw that back at you. What is, what is the grace that was given to Paul? Okay, he was given baptism, yeah. Well, the big flashy one is his eyesight. Yeah. Even though he had been persecuting Christians, 
he was forgiven and his eyesight was returned. Uh, again, as opposed to eternal grace, that actually is small potatoes. Right. But it, it's out there on the billboard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he has this incredible um, conversion experience that you can read about in Acts chapter 9. And it's actually a couple more places in the book of Acts. It, this is such an important part of, of Paul's story that it, it comes up over and over again. And it's actually connected to another grace that the Apostle Paul has received. Um, but just to kind of you know, refresh the, the memory on the story, um, as Ed started us out here, uh, Paul was persecuting the church. His name was Saul at the mm -hmm. time. And yeah, he got a new name. Um, and uh, uh, so he's named initially after the first king of Israel. You know, that's kind of a big name, right? That's an important name. And uh, he's on his way persecuting the church, on his way to Damascus. And um, he sees this very bright light and a voice speaks to him. He's literally you know, like knocked off of his horse to the ground. And the voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And, you know, so he has this, uh, you know, smacked right in the face, you know, because he thought he was being faithful to God. You know, everything that he knew as a Pharisee, he was being faithful to, to God's word and God's truth. You know, and he's trying to do everything right. And Jesus meets him and says, no, you're persecuting the very one who came to save you. And, um, you know, he says, go ahead into the city. And, uh, and when he's there, he's been blinded. And he sends a man by the name of Ananias to witness to him and to heal him and to baptize him. And I, I, I'm always kind of, uh, I always enjoy the, the conversation that God has with Ananias. You can read it in chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, or at least part of it. Um, I'll go back to verse 10. Uh, there's a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, Rise and go to the, straight, the street called Straight. We have found this street archaeologically in Damascus. You know, Apparently, it was a street that was straight. Yeah, um, as opposed to others that were maybe crooked. I, you know, um, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. That's right, I'm telling him your name and that you're coming. Um, and you're going to lay your hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. Maybe you're not aware, God, <laughs> how much evil he has done for your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has come, from, come with authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And the Lord said to him, go. And sometimes I wish that there was actually tone of voice that was involved, you know, when we could... <laughs> You know, because I can imagine, you know, God being incredibly patient. So go, it's okay. As parents, we've done, we've done that, right? You know, when we're exasperated with our kids, just trust me on this. Just do what I'm telling you to do, right? Um, and, but the other times it's, just do it! Um, go. 
and this is what's the, uh, important here, and this is part of the grace that Paul has received. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Part of the grace that Saul, now called Paul, great king of Israel, Paul means little one. Part of the grace that he's received is this calling. That he is actually chosen by Jesus to be his representative to carry this message. To bring that message. Now, I have a nice piece of paper on my desk um, that uh, tells me that God has worked to call me to this congregation. But he did this in a very specific way. Some of you were here when that happened. You might remember aspects of this. You know, I, I received a phone call from Amy Tubergen saying, you know, hey, your name was given to us as a you know, potential pastor for our congregation. Um, we'd like to talk with you about that. Are you in a position where you can talk about that? Yes, I am. Uh, okay, and then we started having some conversations back and forth between me and the church. And I'm very confident I was not the only pastor that you spoke to during that time frame. That would be foolish. Um, and uh, this is not a foolish congregation. Uh, and so you, you're talking with other congregations and then you also had people who were gathering during those conversations to pray asking for God's guidance and that whole process and everything that was, was going on there. And as that process continued, there was a day that the call committee <clears throat> put forward, I don't know, a name or a couple of names. Um, churches do it differently. Um, you know, and you voted. The people of God came together and voted to say, this is the man that we want to come and be our pastor. So notice that the way that we understand that is that uh, God works through the congregation to call the pastor to come and to preach God's word and to proclaim the gospel in that setting. That's not what happened to Saul. God calls him directly. So when I get into church and I preach a sermon, I, I could rightly at the end of that say, this is the word of the Lord. You know, basically that I have done my level best to be faithful to God's word and through prayer and preparation presented to you what God is teaching in these scripture lessons on a particular day. Because you've called me to do that. And you've given me authority to do that as God's people. When Paul does that, different. When he says this is the word of the Lord, it's because this is the word that the Lord gave him directly. It's, it's, a, it's a different thing. This is the grace that is given to Paul. He's not just a guy who's been called into the ministry. He's a guy who's been called into the, the we call it the apostolic role that like Peter and James and John, he's somebody who's not taught simply by God's word, he's taught by Jesus himself to carry that message and to be Jesus' representative. 
And so he, he holds a, uh, an important place. So he has this, this calling that comes by his conversion. Any of you have like a really cool conversion story? It's kind of rare among Lutherans. Um, but uh, um, sometimes people do. They have these really incredible experiences like, you know, there's drama, kind of like what happened with Saul. Um, so we do have a conversion experience, though, even as Lutherans. You know, once we were darkness, now we are light in the Lord because of the gift that was given to us in baptism. We received that grace, right? And he's been at work in our lives. We have that in common with Paul. But he's been given an additional grace that he is called to be Jesus representative in a very particular way and that's what he's actually saying here by that grace by that authority that has been given to me by this special office that I hold and he will go to great pains in other places to say I ain't worthy of this but it's still his and it's still his job to do what God has called him to do. And so by that grace that's been given to him, I tell everyone among you, and then he starts, this is how you live a Christian life. You know, I, I don't have a specific conversion, but I have a story that you're well aware of that mm -hmm. I actually gave a temple talk on a few years ago, mm -hmm. uh, which was a faith strengthening sort yeah. of thing when your daughter Libby sang a song yep. to me about what a wonderful donkey I was. Yep. And uh, that was pretty powerful. Yep. I, you know, I, I grew up a, a Lutheran. Um, I was baptized uh, almost a month after I was born. Uh, I don't remember never knowing Jesus, but I can point to an experience that I had when I was in college that completely changed my relationship with him and helped me to really understand what grace was. Um, I kind of, you know, don't take this too far. I kind of relate to Saul a little bit in that I was very good at being a Pharisee and then, you know, I learned what grace and forgiveness were. You know, what that meant uh, in our lives and in our relationship with God. You know, so, you know, we're, we're always saints and sinners, you know, and that sinner always kind of needs to be smacked down, you know, and so we are going to have experiences like that, thanks be to God, that make that grace all the more uh, clear to us. And this is the grace that he's received. And, and <clears throat> so he says to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. So in, in what ways might people think too highly of themselves? So many. What's that? So many. Yeah, yeah exactly. So many. Pride. 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 Yep. That's what we call that. Thinking about how to do things the right way. Right. It is a burden to be always right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Power, yeah, yeah. Thinking that we're, you know, more important than we really are. We go into it and change the world and come out of it. Yeah. Taking advantage of the world. Yeah. Othering people. Say that again. Othering people. Yes, yes. That repugnant cultural other, yes. Yeah. 
in the context of Romans, thinking that there's something that we can do to save ourselves, that we add something to God's salvation, that you know, maybe we're good enough to be loved in and of ourselves, you know, that, that there's something that we have done that draws God's attention to us. You know, all of that is part of this picture. And he says, think sensibly. Uh, the word there um, means to be reasonable, you know, to actually you know, use your reason. You know, think this through in light of reality. Uh, and sometimes this is actually translated as uh, to think in a self-controlled, uh, or be sober, or be right-minded. Um, you know, as we, we, we think about you know, how we live in our relationship with God and with one another. Because, you know, in chapter 12, we're moving from not just how do I relate to God, it's how do we relate to, to one another as well. You know, so think about these things in the right way starting with the fact that you are a forgiven sinner. I've just, you know, it's like he would say to you, I've just spent 11 chapters talking to you about forgiveness. Now let's think about ourselves rightly when we deal with one another. So why might it be helpful to remember that God has dealt out a measure of faith to each Christian? Say it again. He's given it to us to share. He's given it to us to share. Okay, yeah. What else? Yeah. Carolyn? Yes. Uh, you're getting right at what I, I'm, I'm hoping to get at. Um, some time ago, I read a book um, by... David Zoll called Low Anthropology. Um, if you're interested in this, I actually did a whole series of it on my Wednesday uh, weekly word. And this idea of low anthropology, it really deals with not thinking of ourselves too highly uh, and recognizing our, our limitations and the like. But part of it is also recognizing that when we're dealing with people, we're dealing with people who don't have the same gifts that we have. And some people are going to struggle with their faith in ways that we feel very comfortable in, and others are going to struggle in their faith in, in, in ways that they look at us and they're like, why are you so weak? You know, and, and so to accept people where they're at, meet them where they're at. Yeah, Kathy. I was just going to say, it's, it's really hard to, to, to see that in people. Yeah. You know, because we're so self-focused on everybody should be like me. <clears throat> Right, because I am the measure of all that's good. And I'm all I really know. Right. And, and stuff. So why don't you feel this way about, like I feel this way? Yeah. And yeah, and, and we all have given, we are not necessarily given equal amounts of faith. No, we're not. And nor are we given the same experiences. Exactly, yeah. And the same opportunities to express that faith and how we deal with other people. Yeah. So, yeah, please. There's such an opportunity to learn from one another because of that, because the 
person has strengths where you're weak or, you know, it's just wonderful. And not just to learn from one another, but to rely on one another. Okay. You know, because, you know, mechanically speaking, it's really good if I take my car to somebody else to fix it. <laughs> because this is not part of my giftedness. <clears throat> But it is part of other people's giftedness, you know, and, and some of that, you know, it does come through the experiences that we have living and such. Um, so this is a little bit gross, um, but I like that. Uh, so uh, some time ago, people were kind of lamenting that people can't do things anymore. We don't know how to do things for ourselves, you know, and it, it had a list of, you know, stuff like, you know, do you know how to plant a garden? Do you know how, you know, to uh, change your own oil? Have you ever, you know, on, on, and one of them was, you know, you know, and we don't even know how to uh, process our own meat. Mm-hmm. Like, I do. And it's like, why doesn't everybody know that? Not everybody grew up on a farm, right? Um, have you ever seen the, I, I laugh at these, have you ever seen like the little um, editorials that say, why can't you be like a normal person? You know, this is sometimes written about hunters. Why can't you be like normal people and just get meat from a store and not have to kill an animal? Uh. <laughs> Yourself. Yourself, yeah. It's just, Somebody that's experiences. <laughs> yeah. You know, Chris talks about this with, with the kids in, in her class sometimes, you know, so she's got kids that come up from Akron or from Cuyahoga Falls. You know, these are relatively urban areas. They've never seen a chicken. We have three chickens running around our backyard right now, by the way. Um, that's kind of very entertaining. Um, the dog loves them. <laughs> he would love to play with them more, more closely. But, you know, it's, it's that experience thing. You know, and, and you can apply that to, you know, your faith, too. So, have you ever found yourself in a situation where somebody's, like, really um, digging at the faith, digging at, you know, the things that you believe, and you're like, I don't know what to say. And you've seen other people that where somebody comes after them and they're talking about the faith, and they're just like, let's go. I'd be willing to bet that those people have different experiences than you did when you were growing up that equipped them for that moment, mm -hmm. and that maybe you are being equipped for that the next time in that moment. So honestly, one of the reasons we do Vicarage, you know, it's to get you some of those experiences that you, you know, you're gonna have to wrestle with when you're in the parish as a pastor. You know, you've at least had a taste of it, um, even though it won't be everything that you can experience as a, as a pastor. Right now, I'm among the most dangerous things in the world. That's right. <laughs> and somebody who is pretty well read with no experience. There you go. There you go. So I, I think that when we think about you know, how God has given his gifts, I think that allows us to deal with one another with humility. Yeah. And, and to be able to just receive people and rejoice in the gifts that they've been given and also to be thankful for the gifts that we ourselves have received. Um, he goes on in verses 4 and 5, and he talks about, you know, the body having many parts. Um, how many bodies of Christ are there? One. And, and this is important um, because we confess this, and uh, this is a matter that, that if we look at the world 
it might not be obvious. When you look at the Christian church, we're like, why is there so much division? Underneath all of that division, we always have to cling to this truth, that there is one holy Christian apostolic church. We are confident in that. Is it because we're such good negotiators and so good at being able to come together to the table and, and agree with one another? No, it's not. Why is there one holy Christian apostolic church? Because of Jesus. Because we're in him. And as we live in his forgiveness, you know, we are one church. And so, you know, we confess that in both the Apostles' Creed and in the Nicene Creed, more explicitly in the Nicene Creed. And I think that that's important as we deal with our brothers and sisters, fellow members of the body from other denominations. And then it's also important in relationship to one another. We are, we are one. You know, as a you see this unity kind of in, in different layers. You know, you think about congregations, you think about church bodies, you think about you know, you have a whole church on earth type of a thing. Um, and again, th this is something that, that we confess that is not perfectly uh, enacted in this life. Because what do we do perfectly in this life? Sin, yeah, we're really good at that. And, and we trust in God's grace and forgiveness to win us the salvation. Mm -hmm. So just because we don't see it, does that make it any less true? No. no. Uh, Philip Yancey wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. Yeah, Phil Yancey, yeah. And uh, he says in there, although I think he may be quoting someone else, but looking at all of the religions in the world, what's unique about Christianity? Yes. And he says the only unique principle to Christianity is grace. If you look at other religions, you look at the, the, they all have their little laws and their shoulds and shouldn'ts. Oh, they line up pretty well. They do. Uh, but grace is the unifying factor in the Christian religion. Yes. Yeah. yeah um, in uh, uh, the doctrine books that we studied, um, you know, Peeper says there are two religions, Christianity mm -hmm. and everything else. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, the religion of the law yeah. and the religion of the gospel. Okay. You know, forgiveness and mercy mm -hmm. and salvation. Um, and notice that it's not merely that we belong with one another. The word that's used here is the word koinonia. And koinonia means that we belong to one another. You know, and if you think about being a body, it's not just that your hand, you know, belongs with your shoulder. In a sense, it belongs to your shoulder. Because even when you're doing this, there are things firing up here. It's all connected. We belong to one another. And this is a, it's, it's a, a radical idea that's being presented by Paul to this congregation in Rome um, that's full of both Jews and Gentiles. And it's a radical idea that we translate uh, to our time today. You know, that there is this incredible unity that we have in Jesus and in his forgiveness. 
that even supersedes the disunity that we see so very clearly. Uh, in verses 6 through 8, uh, he talks a lot of like grace and gift language. Um, according to the grace given to us, uh, we, we have different gifts uh, if prophecy, and he goes on and through that. Um, and we'll come back to that, rest of that in, in just a second here. But that word uh, grace, uh, it, the word grace in Greek is charis, and the word gifts is charismata. They're connected. Grace is a gift, and out of grace, God gives us gifts. And then he continues and he talks about using these gifts that, that we have been given uh, in proportion uh, with our faith. And then he, he, he puts a whole list uh, of things there. Um, he says, uh, you know, if, uh, uh, if service, use it in service. The word service there is diakonia, the word we get our word deacon or deaconess from. It literally meant to wait on tables. You know, so it's a, it's a humble kind of serving. Um, if teaching and teaching, you know, what's, what's the name that Jesus often gets called by the people who come to him? Teacher. Rabbi, teacher, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so we follow Jesus in that. Uh, if exhorting in exhortation. Now, this is an interesting word, uh, exhorting and exhortation. It's related to the word um, parakaleo, which is where we get our word paraclete maybe you've heard of that word before connected to the holy spirit that's one of the titles that he's given when jesus says i'm going to send you another comforter this is the word that's used there now this word parakaleo literally means if you just take the words and put them like next to each other it's a compound word um that you uh, uh place something along, you call somebody, somebody or something alongside. You're coming alongside somebody. So you see how that can be exhorting? Yeah. Let's go, let's go, that type of a thing. Um, it's sometimes translated comfort. It's sometimes uh, translated encourage. Um, it, it, it can also... Refresh my forgettery. I, I think it can be um, translated like an advocate as well. I've heard that before. Yeah, you know, so you know, not just in the sense of you know, you go, you go, but you know, speaking on somebody else's behalf, and that's that's all part of the range of that word in terms of what this is saying. That you know, as God's people, we do uh, giving with generosity. Um, th this is actually something that's very important. Um, our congregation is quite good at this. Um, you know, we had a little bit of a financial problem at the you know, front part of the year. A lot of that, I think, had to do with timing and some bills coming in a big lump. Um, but at the same time, when we told the congregation what was going on, people stepped up to that, you know, and, and, and we're in a much better place than we were at that time. In fact, we're doing quite well. Um, and thanks be to God and thanks be to you know, you and the other members of the congregation that have made that happen. But being generous is a good thing. Um, looking out for, uh, you know, using, using our, um, our earthly wealth, whether you're talking about time, talents, or treasures, right, Bill? Uh, Bill serves as an adjunct member on our um, stewardship board. Um, 
Dave, you just came off of that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that idea of using those things that, that you can only spend. You know, you, can, you know, you can't save time, can you? You know, you send, you, sit, you spend time. You you spend your treasures, and in a sense, you spend your your talents as well. You use them. Um, to do that generously is is a good thing, and it's it's a blessing. Um, there's a, a quote in the toward the uh, end of Acts, I think it is, where uh, Jesus says it is better to give than to receive. You know, that idea of being generous is a is a good thing. Uh, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. You know that that can be kind of tricky sometimes if somebody you know has wronged you to then show them mercy, um, but to do that cheerfully is a is you a know, good thing. To just just quick that I like that definition of deacon. Yeah, it just makes the Wake Forest football team that much more absurd. <laughs> <laughs> their but team, they are the demon. Deacons. I was just gonna say they're the demon deacons, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. Now this next section, 12, 9 through 21. I'm gonna read this, and I'm gonna read it nice and slow. And what I would like for you to do is, if you have a writing utensil, um, I'd like for you to mark the commands as we go through it. You know, the imperative verbs, however you wanna say that. Ready? Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, take the lead in honoring one another, do not lack diligence in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs, Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. How, 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 how many um, did you come up with? Just 30? Yeah, I, I came up with 31. 31 commands. Um, what if I told you that in Greek there are only seven? Hmm. Really? This is why we torment Wesley with having to learn Greek. <laughs> Our sympathy, but thanks. 
Pauline sentence structure? It, it is, um, but it's also, uh, I think, a, uh, a problem with a lot of English translations. It is, our hearts love commands, especially when it comes to our faith. Give me something to do to really show that I'm worth this or that you know, I, I can contribute something to this. We, we just, we want to be told, just do it. Yeah, and it's not always that way in, in, in the scripture. We, the human heart is really drawn to religion of works. And when I say that, did, did, I, did I say that works don't matter? No, I, I think works matter incredibly for your neighbor and for you, yeah, you know, there, there is joy in doing the right thing, right? There is joy in helping others. That, that builds us up and it helps us to live the life of faith. It's all good, but it doesn't earn you salvation. That has to be kept in its proper place. You know, so as we live in a religion of grace that should move us into doing things, the things that we're taught, that third use of the law that I was talking about earlier, but these are not commands that are given. They're actually descriptions of who we are in Jesus. Now, I do think that's kind of interesting that these verses, they, <clears throat> they kind of correspond to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 in terms of what does it look like when we, we love God and, and when we live with him. Um, the first few verses here, they uh, specifically speak about love. Um, <clears throat> but this problem with the English translation, <clears throat> turning uh, participles into uh, commands, uh, it, it's something that we need to be aware of. This is not a to-do list. It's a description of the Christian life, and it's a description of Christian love. So here's a, a translation from uh, uh, Middendorf. He's the one who uh, did the, the commentary on Romans that, uh, that I'm uh, using. Do you remember, is he at Austin, Concordia Austin? I don't. I think that's where, I think he's a theology professor there, but better at Greek than me, but um, listen, and you can follow along, it's on your handout. Love is without hypocrisy. You notice that the is is in brackets. If you were to actually read that in Greek, it just says love, verb, or noun, without hypocrisy, um, adjective. English teachers, if you have a noun and an adjective, what do you Missing a verb, right? So sometimes you have to supply the verb. That's what they did at the front. Let love be. But they chose to make it into a command. Love is, which is just more normal that you would use uh, some form of, of to be. Uh, love is without hypocrisy. Abhorring the evil, clinging to the good, you know, that's what love is doing. It's abhorring the evil. It's clinging to the good in brotherly love, showing familial affection for one another. Mm -hmm. In honor, leading the way for one another. In zeal, not being lazy. In the spirit, blazing, serving as slaves to the Lord. 
sharing for the needs of the holy ones, pursuing the love of strangers. Bless, oh, there's an imperative. Bless the ones who persecute you. It actually is just bless the ones who persecute. Uh, bless and do not curse, two more imperatives. Um, to rejoice with the rejoicing ones, to weep with the weeping ones, that's love. Having the same mindset toward one another, not setting your mind on haughty things, that's what love does. Not associating, but associating with the lowly ones. Do not become wise beyond yourselves. There's a command. Uh, giving back to no one, evil in place of evil, but being preoccupied, I got a nice typo there. Um, being preoccupied with excellent things before, our, before all people. If possible, in that which is from you, being at peace with all people. While not avenging yourselves, loved ones, rather give a place for the wrath of God. In, indeed, it stands written, vengeance is for me. I myself will, repay it, I myself will pay it back, says the Lord. For if your enemy is hungry, oh, there's a command, feed him. And if he's thirsty, another command, give him a drink. For while doing this, you will keep burning coals of fire on his head. Do not be conquered by the evil, but conquer the evil thing with the good. I was a little bit disturbed about the, um, while you will be keeping burning coals of fire upon his head. What's wrong with that? Okay. Yeah, I don't think the goal is um, to see the person suffer, but that is a reality of what happens sometimes when you do good to people who hate you. It just burns them up. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that's a good point, though, is that this is something that we need to be mindful of. And, and, and I think that this is the reason why Paul over and over again says, you know, bless those who persecute. Uh, to the best of your ability, live in harmony. Um, uh, you know, don't be wise in your own explanation. I think that that's the reason why he gives all of these caveats beforehand. Because we are very good at turning a gift into a weapon. Yeah. We are very good at forgiving somebody and using that forgiveness as a club. Right, and I think that, uh, um, you know, so, so while I think that Paul is saying that this is a reality, that yes, uh, with somebody, with, you know, the wicked, the, the uh, uh, blessings to a wicked one are like curses, but um, at the same time, that's not the reason why you bless them. Right. And... Uh, to me, it's, it's like, okay, now they, they're, they're feeling bad and they're not all this stuff. Um, I would want to take and extend it a little bit further and give them comfort. You know? Yeah. So do you need to be told that if somebody comes to you and their heart is broken and their head is burning because of what they did? To me, yeah. And, and they apologize? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you think of Matthew 18, um, it talks about 
you know, when your brother sins, you, know, you go and speak to him individually. Um, if he doesn't turn, then you bring somebody with you and confront him again. Uh, and if that doesn't happen, um, you know, you tell it to the church. And if he won't listen to the church, it says to treat him like a tax collector or sinner, right? There's a division there. There's a separation there. And it's a, it's, that's a painful experience to be part of a family and then to be, you know, no, you are living outside of the bounds. But then what do we do with tax collectors and sinners? What does Jesus do with tax collectors and sinners? He, he, he continued to love them and to proclaim the truth to them and to offer grace to them because even the person whose head is on fire here the goal is that the shame that their experience leads them to repentance. Even if, for me, I'm pretty happy with just the fact that their heads burn. You know, know what I'm saying? You know, God is using that in a greater way than I might want with my own heart. But forgiveness can be either be humble or high, too. It can. And I think we have to be careful about that. Yeah. You know, we want to offer humble forgiveness. We're giving people what we ourselves have received. We don't want to forgive somebody just to see them squirm. Or do we? I, I, <laughs> we do. Part of us probably does. I am so great and magnanimous. And now you are forever in my debt. <laughs> um, I think one of the things to observe as we go through the book of Romans um, up to this point, every time Paul has talked about love, it's about God's love for us. And in this section, you know, he changes the focus to Christian love, love that flows through us, from us, because we have been loved. That's, that's really the foundation. You know, if you go to 1 John, uh, it, Chapter 4, I think it is. Um, it says, uh, we love God because he first loved us. Our love is always rooted in his love. And so that's what Paul has done here in this book. He's you know, talked about the love of God, you know, and the righteousness that comes to us by faith, and, you know, the, the justification that we have, and all of this reconciliation stuff. And now, because you've been loved like this, in light of the grace that's been given to me, this is how we live. This is what love looks like. Yeah. It, it just seems to me some things are easier than others. That's true. Uh, if you're a nonviolent person, then not being violent with a persecutor is pretty easy to do. Mm -hmm. And some of these other things, like drink of water and that, you can approach that from a legalistic standpoint say well god says i gotta do it so here's a, here's a glass of water yep but internally bless the persecutors that's the that's the tough one mm -hmm. but if you can manage that then everything else flows from it instead of flowing from a legal right command. and so when we come to that situation and you see that person as a fellow sinner yeah who needs what you actually have yeah, it doesn't mean you keep quiet and don't proclaim the truth. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you, you see somebody there who 
needs forgiveness, who needs mercy, then that, that, that yeah. I think that helps. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, it makes everything else easier. Yeah. In kind of an interesting way, it's not just Paul's prescription, it's Paul's description of what happened to him and how that yes. changed his life. Yeah. And, and did he do this perfectly? No, he did not. He was an argumentative, ornery guy. You know, read the book of Acts. You know, I, I, I do think that part of the purpose of the book of Acts is to show that, you know, the church is uh, reasonable, we, we behave as good citizens, and we're good people to have around. And yet we're going to find people in the church fighting with each other and, and Paul is one of the most ornery among them. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes rightfully so, but other times it's like, Paul, you know, you could just kind of chill out just a little bit. Um, but this is the kind of thing that he experienced in Jesus. And it's what's turning him as he deals with other people. I liked this, this quote. This is from um, Middendorf, the, the guy who wrote the commentary. He says, love from God in Christ through the Spirit to us. Um, then love from God in Christ through the Spirit to us then serves as the foundation and motivation for all responsive Christ-like behavior. We love because he loved us. The foundation is what Jesus has done. We share the forgiveness that we've received. And this isn't a new idea. There was a guy named Origen, um, 200s, I think. About that. Um, it happens that we hate things we ought not to, just as we love things we ought not to. We are ordered to love our brothers, not hate them. If you think someone is ungodly, remember that Christ died for the ungodly. And if you think that because your brother is a sinner, you do not have to love him, remember that Christ Jesus, there's another good typo for you, Chris. Um, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's kind of the heart of our relationship with Jesus, and it becomes a powerful foundation for our relationship with others. So, Wrapping up here, I'd like for you to, uh, to spend some time today thinking about uh, an insight, a, a word of comfort, something maybe that was challenging in what we talked about today uh, that you want to hold on to, something that you'd like to remember uh, out of what we discussed today, and, uh, and maybe think about how the lesson learned from these verses is going to impact your faith life. Anything else? I think we got a church service to get to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your servant, Paul. We thank you that you appointed him to be an apostle. And uh, we thank you for this good word that shows us how we live in light of your love. And we ask, Lord, that your love would certainly move us to love the way that you have loved us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.